Well, I want to begin uh, with a quote from Martin Luther. Uh, we're considering the communion of saints and the forgiveness of sins. Just so you know, communion uh, is just the old English word for fellowship, koinonia. Uh, it's really the coming together of believers. It's what we're commanded to do in Acts. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we see the early church uh, is that they were dedicated. They dedicated themselves uh, to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship uh, and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Uh, and so today we're going to consider that, uh, that component of, of what it means to be a church, which is fellowship. Uh, but we're also going to consider what it means uh, to be a church that rests in the forgiveness that is granted to us through Jesus, uh, and what it means to be a church that is marked by its confession, not just simply confession of faith, but our willingness to continually come into the light as children of God. I, I like what Luther says because there's, there's something that, that, is, that you should notice here is that the communion of saints and the forgiveness of sins puts a, a paradox at play, that saints are sinners that are forgiven. As Luther said, Christians are righteous and sinners at one and the same time. And this is a challenging idea for us. It's one of the reasons that many Christians, uh, many people, uh, get frustrated with the church as they say, well, the church is a place full of hypocrites. You know, it's supposed to be saints, but uh, it's, it's a mess, and there, there's all sorts of brokenness, uh, and, and there's, there's sin still evident, and that's always going to be true. But the key to being saints is not the ability to be perfect or without sin. Uh, the key to being saints is to recognize that what makes us a saint is our identity in Christ Jesus, which means that we're a people that come into the light, that we live in the light. We're not hiding behind our brokenness, but we are accepting our identity in Jesus and continually putting ourselves in the light as we live out life together uh, as a fellowship of believers. And so really there are three things that I want us to consider today, and we're going to consider this all from 1 John chapter 1, uh, which is, uh, is fellowship, forgiveness, uh, and confession. Uh, and let's, let's begin with, with fellowship. If you look at 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, John writes this, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So notice this, if we say we have fellowship with him, but we continue to hide uh, in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, uh, we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, that is we come out of our hiding, uh, as he is in the light, we have fellowship. Notice what John does. He, he switches it. It's not just simply fellowship with him, but the evidence that we have fellowship with him is that we have koinonia, or fellowship, with one another. So I want to begin with this concept, because we begin in the creed with the communion of the saints. And I want to say that, that we can say it's the fellowship of the saints or the fellowship of those who walk in the light. We have fellowship with God and one another when we walk in the light. And I would say walking in the light is another way of saying being saints. So what does it mean to walk in the light, practically speaking? I would say, first of all, on the one hand, to walk in the light means that we have come out of hiding. Now, 
think back to Genesis and the account of our first parents and, and the result of sin. Sin was their rebellion against God's sovereign rule over their life and even really a rejection of his grace. Uh, when our first parents sinned, their rebellion uh, basically took place in the form of defining for themselves what is right and what is wrong. They claimed autonomy for themselves. And the moment they did that, uh, they became aware of their nakedness and they were ashamed. And what happens? I, it's, it's a fascinating thing because we often think of sin in terms of separation from God but we think of it in terms of separation from both directions, that God turns his back on the sinner because God is light and in him is no darkness at all, uh, and that the sinner turns his back on God in his rebellion, in, his, in her rebellion. But that's not what the scripture declares. The God who is light and who there is no darkness at all is also the God who is found walking in the garden, and it is not he that is hiding, it is our first parents. In fact, Genesis to Revelation continually reveals a God who pursues sinners in their sin, constantly putting himself in front of the sin, calling people to repentance, calling people to confession, calling people to turn back to him, to enter into covenant with him. But the rebellion of mankind, the sinfulness is so complete on our side that we became incapable of reaching God in our own effort. And so what does God do? That's where the gospel comes in, is the ultimate moment in which God enters into the sinfulness of humanity. He doesn't just simply enter into the brokenness of the world. He himself, who knew no sin, that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. One of the most mysterious passages in Scripture. We have fellowship when we walk in the light, which means, first and foremost, is that we come out of hiding. We come into relationship with the living Christ. What we need to understand is that what the gospel does is that when salvation comes, the essence, the outworking of the gospel is that restoration of relationship. How do we know that I've been transformed by the gospel? How do I know that I've truly accepted salvation? It's all about restoring relationship. What is the enemy of the gospel? It is isolation. George MacDonald said that the one principle of hell is I am my own, and that is a very true statement. One of the first things that God declared over man, it is not good that man be alone. That wasn't simply a statement about marriage. That's a statement about existence. It's an existential statement. We are created for relationship. Sin ruins relationship. The gospel restores relationship. To be a part of the holy Catholic church means that we are a people who have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the God who entered into the sinfulness of humanity and made it his own, and we have said yes to his yes over our lives, being regenerated, born again, finding ourselves not only in right relationship with God, but here's the catch. You can't say, according to 1 John, that you're in a right relationship with God and hate your brother or hate your sister. You can't say you're in a right relationship with Jesus Christ and reject the church. I'm feeling more and more strongly. I will state that more and more strongly. This is not an attempt to front load the gospel. I'm saying that the litmus test that the gospel has taken hold of the heart is that it restores relationship in three directions. 
A right relationship with God leads to a right relationship with others. A right relationship with others then and only then will lead to a right relationship with self. I am terrified at the movement I see within the church that is putting all the emphasis on discovering who we are meant to be before we talk about what it means to be right with God and right with others. We've reversed the order, which tells us that we've moved into a season once again, and the church goes through these cycles, what it has put in a premium on therapeutic moralism, which has nothing to do with the gospel. All it does is create law and legalism and does not lead to a restoration of relationship. Just that, that, was, a side, that was a benefit side note. I just wanted to give that to you. I, on Christmas Day, am flying out at, at, at nine in the morning to go be with my father. And I think he's a great illustration of, of here's a man that doesn't know Jesus. And I, like I said before, if you're struggling with the fact that we're not having Christmas Eve services, know that this is allowing me to go be with my dad, just so I want you to feel guilty before you email me about it. Um, but, but, you know, my dad is probably at the end of his life. He's got congestive heart failure and, and COPD and a plethora of other things, several strokes, and he's been alone for the last two Christmases. But my dad's alone all the time. And my dad, as a non-believer, uh, called me the other day, and he just said, he is so excited that I'm coming. And he just said, he's like, I'm so alone. He, and, and the words that he used, I thought was so fascinating. He didn't, wasn't even thinking in terms of theological ideas. He said, it's hell. My dad gets it. My dad gets what the scripture declares. You don't have to get to the point of total isolation to discover that being alone is not good. Uh, and the evidence that we indeed are the body of Christ is not simply that we have relationship with Jesus restored, but when we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him and we have fellowship with who? One another. So on the one hand, to walk in the light, that's to be a saint, means that we come out of hiding. But on the other, uh, and, and that just simply means that we need proximity. Well, let me just state one other. There's a, there's a great passage, too, that, that speaks to this truth. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it says, Paul writes, I therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Uh, what does Paul always say in the beginning of his letters? Those of you who are called to be what? Saints. Uh, so walk in a manner worthy of the calling to be saints, which you have been called with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, the transformation of the gospel plays itself out in how we live life together. And he says, the marks of a community that has been redeemed and reconciled to King Jesus are those who walk in humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Notice that every single one of those virtues require others in order for them to exist. You can't be humble if you don't live life with people. You can't be gentle if you're never around anyone. You can't love if there isn't someone to love. I think that this is important for us to understand. The virtues that, that are the fruit of the Spirit all require relationship, uh, which is the essence of the gospel. On the, on the other hand, to walk in the light doesn't simply mean to come out of hiding, but it means that we are committed to the truth, which means that we are committed to Jesus. Notice it says, uh, from him we proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, we walk in darkness, but we lie and do not practice the truth. Uh, to walk in the light is to actually be completely identified 
and committed to King Jesus. As a church, we aren't being the church if we aren't talking about Jesus. Remember, if you take Christ out of the name Christian, it doesn't even make sense. Uh, <laughs> I was going to try to say it. and that, there, You can't even say it. It doesn't make sense. Uh, what makes a Christian a Christian is Christ in the believer. Christ in the believer is identified and experienced in context of life together with others. You remember what I said about the church, uh, borrowing from Karl Barth, is that the church is, is a group of community of redeemed men and women who live their life around King Jesus and who Jesus sees around himself. That our one goal is the kingdom of God and that we live for the good of the world around us. We have to be about Jesus. This is what it means. Our fellowship is defined by our identification with Christ. Uh, this is why Paul goes on in actually in Ephesians 4, verse 21, saying, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, that is taught in Christ, as truth is in Jesus. Truth for us as a church is not a body of information, but it is a living relationship with the living Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our fellowship as, as saints is that we are a people who walk in the light. We've come out of hiding and we have identified ourselves with King Jesus and committed ourselves to his ethic. If he's the king and the church is an outpost of his kingdom, we should reflect his ethic. I think sometimes we're far more comfortable with the idea of Jesus as a savior than as a king and a Lord who gets to define and dictate his terms by which we are called to live. So this is what it means to have fellowship. When the creed says the communion of saints, it is talking about the fellowship that occurs when a people are regenerated by the Holy Spirit and come out of hiding, living in accordance to the ways of King Jesus. Okay. The second thing that the creed says is that we, are, we believe in the forgiveness of sins. And as a community of faith, forgiveness is central to our understanding of what it means to be God's people. We are forgiven because of the blood of Christ. Look what it says in 1 John chapter 1, uh, verses 7 through 8. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. What happens when the gospel is presented? This is why faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, is that as the gospel is presented, the Holy Spirit illuminates the person who is dead in their sins, gives them enough light for them to see their need uh, for the Savior, calling them to say yes to the yes that God has already declared over them in Christ Jesus. The way that we can function as a victorious community in the gospel of Jesus is when we fully begin to understand what forgiveness means. The blood of, his, blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I think one of the greatest challenges that I've been confronted with as a pastor, uh, both personally and in my conversation with others, is really believing that Jesus Christ has forgiven me. I don't know about you, but I have things in my past that are so dark before I knew Christ. I took advantage of so many people. Um, I hurt so many that I, I struggled for years as a Christian. There is no way that Jesus could forgive me for this. 
There's no way that I could be forgiven for that. If, if you knew what I did, you wouldn't even ask for forgiveness. That, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of thought process that I had. And I've talked with many in my office that have the same kind of thought process. But let me just remind you of what we are told in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. That is, if there wasn't a once and for all sacrifice for sin, Jesus would have to continually be sacrificed for sin, is the point that, that Hebrews is making. But as it is, he has appeared once, for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Forgiveness is not something that we are working for. Forgiveness is a place that we work from. Sin has been taken care of once and for all, past, present, and future. That those who put their faith in Christ accept his work on their behalf. That's why I always like to use Majorian Thomas's framework, that the life that Jesus lived the life that none of us could live. He who knew no sin became sin. His perfection, he was able to take sin without sinning to its final, to, to its final end. He was able to take it all the way to the end. The life that he lived qualified him for the death that he died. And remember, that death that he died is the death that each of us deserve. But the death that he died qualifies us today for the life that he lived. That the very heart of atonement is the overcoming of sin. That the reason that the scripture says that the, it's the communion of saints and the forgiveness of sins is because saints are forgiven sinners. That sin in its character as the rebellion of man against God and in its character as the ground of man's hopelessness, hopeless destiny and death. Remember, Jesus took that destiny into himself. And this is why we say that he is both the judge and the judged on our behalf. That on the cross of Calvary, he took the judgment we deserve. He declares the judgment that sin deserves, and it takes its punishment into himself, fully atoning for the brokenness, not just of you and I, but of humanity. And I think that this is essential for us because when we realize that we are forgiven, when we function from a place that we are forgiven, it is the forgiveness the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. What causes me to give myself and my full allegiance to Jesus is when I realize that I am saved because of what he has done for me, not what I do for him. That he got into my place. The great exchange occurred. And that I am forgiven. Even though I continue to sin in Christ, I am seen by the Father as sinless. And that's a profound reality. But when we lose sight of that reality, when we forget that Jesus has taken the judgment fully into himself, what that does is it creates a works-based salvation that leads us to this constant fear that if I don't confess every little sin that I commit, then somehow that's going to be left un unpaid for, the debt's not been paid, and I might go to hell. This is the, the essential difference between Roman Catholicism and Protestantism is that we believe that all sins, past, present, and future, have been dealt with once and for all on the cross, that it has actually been paid for in full. The debt has been paid. We believe that we stand not by our own achievements, but by the achievement of Jesus' death and resurrection. We believe that the spiritually strong and the spiritually weak are both sustained by the same forgiving grace. Be grateful that you are 
called to keep track of every sin that you commit. I've been in the middle of a, actually a Catholic practice. Um, a, a group of pastors are doing the 19th annotation of the, the way of Jesus through the practices of Ignatius. And it's been fascinating because this last month, it's actually pretty, it's, it's pretty challenging because the whole month, Ignatius has you focus in on different components of the life of Jesus. But before we get into the life and death of Jesus, we have to focus for one month, five days a week, an hour a day on our sinfulness. And, and well, I don't really like it very much. <laughs> uh, and and we're, 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 I, this, is a, this is a fascinating thing about, about Ignatius. Is I actually, I, I think that his, his grasp of forgiveness, he actually saw sin as a place, as a place where you can meet God. Uh, and it wasn't that he was, he was trying to justify uh, sin as a good thing. He he's not saying what Paul fights against in Romans, should I sin that grace may abound. He's just saying that, that to walk in the light is to continually come into an awareness where the light shines in and reveals the brokenness. And when we confess that, when we bring that before God, that's a place where you meet God. And in that way, you can be grateful uh, even for your sin, and I think he takes it farther in, in the fact that if, you're, if we're faithful to confess it, it's a place where we can actually receive God's grace. But I don't like it because he, he also forces you to like not only take, uh, take account for your sin, but he wants you to sit in the sin of the whole world. That's just a lot of weight <laughs> to enter into. I'm like, I, don't, I can barely handle my own sin. Uh, but, but here's the power of forgiveness is that the reason that we can meditate on those things is because Jesus has once and for all paid for it all. And it constantly, the reason that I am called uh, even to this prayer practice to meditate on the sinfulness is to reveal the absolute need that I have for Jesus. And I think when we forget how broken we are, you can't come into the light of who Jesus is and not be exposed. The longer I walk with Jesus, the more horrified I am by my own rebellion, my natural tendencies toward uh, toward walking away from the Lord, toward isolation, toward hiding. But the debt has been paid. The relationship has been restored. Romans 8, verse 1, it says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I like what Bart says. He says, man's reconciliation with God takes place through God putting himself in man's place and man being put in God's place as a sheer act of grace. It is the inconceivable miracle, which is our reconciliation. I think that in order for us to function as a communion of saints or as a fellowship of saints, those who walk in the light, we have to work from a place of forgiveness, not constantly trying to bypass the gospel and earning God's forgiveness. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It has been given to you as a sheer act of grace. And this is our position in Christ. So if we are a fellowship of saints, and saints are nothing more than forgiven sinners, and if we have been forgiven once and for all, past, present, and future sins, then why should we be a church that practices confession? And this is where I want us to close. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 9-10. through 10. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Notice, he says, the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin, saying that this is a once and for all decisive act by God 
through Christ Jesus on behalf of humanity. It's a free invitation to all. But now he's saying that we have to confess our sins. Before he's saying, this is already, why would we confess our sins if our sins have already been forgiven? But what we need to understand is that we are in a living relationship with the living Christ. And I think that we often uh, misunderstand the essence of forgiveness. For there are two sides to forgiveness. There is what is called judicial forgiveness, which deals with the, the penalty of sin. That has been dealt with once and for all. But we forget that there is also, with God, parental forgiveness, which deals with sin's consequences. You can be forgiven for something that you have done wrong. Your position in Christ stands firm, but it's still, there are still consequences to the decisions that we make. That's why I always say, if we are forgiven, if God sees us as sinless in the Son, the more we recognize our desperate need for Him and cast ourselves in total dependence upon Him, if God sees us as sinless, as we rest in the fullness of the gospel, it should cause us to sin less. I would never go as far as Wesley to say that we can work toward perfection. I'm just saying that the more we rest in the completed work of Christ in, in reliance upon the Holy Spirit, the more we walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. But why should we confess? Because here he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And what I would say is that what we need to understand is that the reason we continue to confess that which has already been forgiven is because it keeps us in active relationship with our king. What does sin do? Sin, I would say, does this. It hides God from our experience when we hide it. This is really important. Those who refuse to walk in the light, it really comes back to this, but fall into the trappings of what our first parents have done and what humanity has continued to do, which is hide our brokenness from one another, try in our, our best effort to hide it even from God. When we hide, when we hide from God, uh, what happens is that we begin to lose sight of his presence. When we, try to, when we refuse to confess our sin to God or to others, what happens is that God, we begin to find God is hidden from us in our experience. We lose our awareness of forgiveness and our sense of peace with God. What I have found is that when people refuse to acknowledge sin, it only takes a little while before they no longer even see it as sin. Because the human mind's ability to rationalize bad choices, bad decisions is amazing. It's what we call in theological terms, the exceeding sinfulness of sin, that sin blinds and it kills. The wages of sin is death. And for those who have been born again, what I think it brings death to is an awareness of relationship. It may not change the position of your standing in Christ Jesus and his finished work. And people always ask, do you believe that once you're saved, you're always saved? I'm like, even if I do believe that, it doesn't matter because if you are functioning in disobedience, hiding your sin, you will have no assurance of your salvation, whether it's there or not. The only way to have assurance that I am saved, that I belong to Jesus, that I'm a part of the community of faith is to come out of the dark into the light. And this is why sin is a place where we meet God when we're willing to confess it. It's a relational confession. It's not about our standing uh, 
before God. It's not like every time you sin, now you're going to hell. That's not what this is about. This is about keeping relationship healthy. Just like any relationship that we have, we confess to one another when we hurt each other. We should. Uh, we, we, we talk openly. We keep communication open because when we begin to hide from one another, what does it ultimately do? It destroys the possibility of real, vibrant, life-giving relationship. When we confess our sins by the work of the Spirit, we are reawakened to what Christ has done for us and God revives our security in Him and our assurance of our salvation. I, I like... Uh, when you think about the verse in Romans 10, it says that whoever confesses with their lips that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead shall be saved, that salvation comes into the life through the mouth, that we make a confession of faith. But I also believe that the confession of sin is that sin leaves the body through the mouth, <laughs> that there's power in confession. And have you ever experienced that? I mean, I remember what it was like as a child to, um, to confess to my mom uh, things that I, and, and like she would catch me in a lie and I would try to cover it up. And she could always tell I was lying because the moment I was lying, I would start talking extremely fast. And I already talked fast. So it was very easy for her to tell because I would just start just going like a, just a true car salesman. Uh, and if you're a car salesman, I did not mean that as a, as a dig. Uh, <laughs> um, but, I, but just this, this fast talking and, and, and the guilt would come over me and I would feel just this weight. And, and I could tell that she knew and, but there was this something in me that wanted to continue to try to hide. And I would just dig the hole deeper and deeper. And then there was the moment of catharsis when I would be like, I did it, mom. I took the cookies or whatever it was that I did. Uh, and it usually was something, I remember she was a, a, a waiter, a, a server at this restaurant when I was a kid and, and single mom. And she had this coin jar uh, and I didn't have any supervision. I was like in fourth grade and she would put all the quarters in the top and she taped it so that we couldn't get into the quarter jar. But I figured out a way to bend the hole and turn it upside down and shake it. And it never, the jar just never got higher because I was playing like five to $10 worth of video games at the arcade every day after school. And she's like, are you taking the quarters? And I'm like, no. <laughs> it's just like such a dumb lie because I'm the only one that could have been taking it. But it was all going to, remember that, for those of you who are old enough, that awesome video game, Star Wars? the original Star Wars video game, and Donkey Kong Jr. Hundreds of dollars into both of those games. Uh, and and I, I remember confessing it to my mom and being in trouble, but the catharsis that was felt when I just came clean. She's like, I know you're taking the change. I've been putting change in it every day. And the jar is staying. This, it's not a magic jar that, of poverty. <laughs> and so... <laughs> and, and, and I just remember that the feeling of this, like, ah, oh, I've done this thing confession, catharsis, forgiveness. There was correction. There's some grounding, but I still even felt better grounded than carrying the weight of continuing to hide my sin, which actually caused me to continue in that sin. But the moment I was caught, confessed, came clean, I've stopped stealing my mom's change for a couple months. But this is the point. Forgiveness. We need forgiveness. We have to Continue to confess to one another. And you guys, this is what I want you to understand is that there are some of you today that are, are hiding patterns of sin in your life that are so deep and so hidden that it's absolutely robbed you of your awareness of God. I think there are some of you sitting in here today that are struggling. I mean, one of the easiest ones to just 
put your finger on and you're, you know it's going to touch multiple people as sexual sin. So many people that are just continually looking at things that they ought not to look at, giving themselves in uh, to the things of this world in such a way that it is just literally like letting the devil into your house. And the guilt and the shame that you feel, I want you to know that that's not the Holy Spirit, that's the devil. Because the devil wants us to stay guilty, stay ashamed, and stay in the dark. The Holy Spirit does not create guilt. He creates conviction that causes change, that brings about repentance. And when we let the Spirit do his deadly work in our lives, it is meant to liberate you and set you free. The Lord wants you to experience liberation. The gospel is a gospel of liberation. As a community of faith, when we confess our sins to God and to one another, what it does is it liberates us from the lies of the enemy and gives us the freedom to live differently in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want us to be a church that isn't hiding. Because it's not just sexual sin. I think that there are even more subtle sins. There's this, I think one of the most subtle but damaging sins in the church today is laziness. Real laziness. This, a refusal to give ourselves to the more difficult pleasures in life. I see it in my own life. The, the choosing the easy path, the path of least resistance. I see the, the, the sin of criticism and a critical spirit. I find it often in myself. I see it often within the church. It's one of those, those sins that actually hurts the church more than any other sin. I see the dishonesty or the attempts to put on the face that I'm actually doing much better with God than I am. That's a sin in itself. The sins of omission. I mean, really, when we begin to actually look to do a true examination. And this is the thing. Uh, if I could just remind you that Robert Murray McShane was wise when he said, for every one look you take into your own heart, take 10 looks to Jesus. I'm not calling you guys to live in this place of perpetual self-examination where it becomes analysis because analysis creates paralysis. Uh, it's examining our hearts in the light of the gospel and the good news of a God who's taking care of everything for us on the cross. And out of the gratitude, the kindness of God toward us as sinners, calling us to step boldly into the light. And here's the thing, guys. I am calling us to be a church that lives in the light, and there's risk involved in that. Some of you are terrified at the idea of confessing not only your sins to God, but really confessing your sins to one another, because what if that's used against you? What if someone takes advantage of you? What if someone hurts you? Listen, you will be hurt by others, because that's what it means to be human, and you will hurt others. That should never stop us from obeying the gospel of Jesus. And I think that too many people walk away burned, from the, burned by the church, but they never give the church the opportunity to make right what one experience, where one experience went wrong. That's just part of human existence. What we need to be called to is the recognition that we're a family, and as a family, families are messy. And there's a messiness involved in living in the light of the gospel. But when we are willing to actually have the courage to step into the light and experience the freedom and the liberation that comes through confession, it's once we confess the garbage that we're able to step out and confess Jesus. It's very difficult to confess Jesus when you refuse to get rid of the garbage. Do you guys understand that the cross of Calvary is like a city dump? It's a place where you're supposed to go leave your garbage, not go and collect it. And I just want us to understand this, that the that the gospel is the gospel of good news because Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. 
And so we have this reality that sin hides God from our experience when we deny it. Sin is a place where we meet God when we confess it. And this is why it says in James chapter 5, verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I want to just leave you with this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Life Together. He says, the more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. And the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In confession, the light of the gospel breaks into the darkness and seclusion of the heart. The sin must be brought into the light. The unexpressed must be openly spoken and acknowledged. All that is secret and hidden is made manifest. It is a hard struggle until the sin is openly admitted, but God breaks gates of brass and bars of iron. You guys, we are the Holy Catholic Church. We are the communion of the saints who have accepted the forgiveness of sins. But we need to live as such. We have fellowship as sinners because we are saints. We are saints because we are forgiven sinners. We are forgiven because of Jesus. So my call to you is to walk in the light as a confessing community. Amen?